Hey guys and girls, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, we've done something a little different and gone into the tech world. And from Microsoft, we have asked Dr. Andy White, who is the head of business operations and strategy for the healthcare industry solutions accelerator at Microsoft to come on the show. So this is not our, your typical episode that we you know, interview a CEO or a senior person within a vendor or a biotech company. What we wanted to do is get an insight into how a business like Microsoft is thinking about our sector and also how AI, uh, you know, how data analytics, how predictive analytics and all the buzzwords you want to use that you're hearing out and about is thinking about our space. So for that, for background, uh, Andy is a clinically savvy PhD with two decades of diverse healthcare experience. As she's demonstrated success across all aspects of commercialization in both startup and Fortune 100 companies. Her corporate experience is bolstered by her years in San Francisco, startup community where she has participated in the commercialization of several life science companies uh, with a master's doctorate in biochemistry from the University of New Hampshire and a postdoctorate uh, research experience at UC Berkeley. Andy has a true passion for the science behind healthcare and the promise of connected data in driving the future of better patient outcomes. Thanks as always for listening to the show. And if you liked today's episode, please share it. Enjoy. Hey, Andy, welcome to Molecule to Market. Thank you so much. It's such a great pleasure to be here. Well, it's a great pleasure having you on. And, you know, it's, uh, it's the first guest that we've ever had on from Microsoft, which is, which is very exciting, given your kind of healthcare and life science focused as well. But and we are going to get to that later in the interview so our guests can know kind of more about your focus area. But, but before we do that, Andy, it'd be great to give our listener a bit of the backstory of your career and, and how you've got to where you are today at Microsoft. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting path that has led me to where I am today. You know, I feel like um, when I talk to young people a lot, they ask me, you know, what was your goal and how did you get there? And what I inevitably end up saying is, whatever you plan today is going to be completely different in five years. Um, I've taken roles I never would have thought I had and, you know, I've taken paths I never thought would be put in front of me, but they all lead in the way that they're supposed to, I believe, in the end. Um, my intention initially was really to stay in academia. You know, I did the um, undergrad, master's, PhD in biochemistry, um, when I did my PhD, I was also in a preparing future faculty program, which was really the first of its kind at the University of New Hampshire at the time, um, really with the intention of going straight into an academic role. I went into a postdoc at UC Berkeley with the intention of continuing in that trajectory and even ended up being adjunct faculty at California State Sonoma. Um, and when I was there, I realized, you know, aside from the fact that I really wanted to stay in the Bay Area and eventually someday buy a house, um, I realized that there were actually a lot of different paths in life science, in pharma, in biochemistry, in healthcare in general that were never really explained to me while I was in academia that um, sort of when 
necessity was the mother of all invention, forced me into a situation looking for contract roles. Um, and that was what was my bridge into industry. Um, from there, it's just been really a very targeted strategy focus within the life science industry from that time on. And, and I noticed when I was looking at your kind of backstory as well, you obviously spent a big chunk of your time at GE Healthcare. So do you mind explaining what your, I think it was a four years or so you spent with that organization, how that, how that came about and what that experience was like working for an organization like GE? Oh, absolutely. I have to say of the roles that I've had in my career, working for GE was by far one of my favorite. And it was close to five years I was there. Um, I initially came in as um, a global account leader for Amgen, uh, one of GE's very large customer accounts in the life sciences. Um, Amgen is really a global leader, as everybody is aware, um, in chromatography and process development and manufacturing, particularly for biotherapeutics. GE at that time, GE Healthcare Life Sciences, which is now Cytiva, um, was a big player, is a big player to this day in biotherapeutic manufacturing. So I came in in a role initially helping out on the research and on the bioprocess side with Amgen um, based on some successes we had there with the Supplier Relationship Excellence Program. They asked me to lead a um, cross-healthcare initiative within the University of California system-wide which led to a services agreement that covered both clinical and research labs. It was a first-in-kind contract um, doing um, a very large amount of volume revenue. And then based on that success, they moved me into um, a commercial marketing director role where I led a number of programs, trainings for the sales team, developed go-to-market strategy in a number of therapeutic areas or focused strategic areas, one of which was really focused on enterprise conversations in hospitals um, that led to some very lucrative enterprise deals with hospital construction projects. And then again, got me promoted um, onto the business innovations team as part of Beth Comstock's corporate team. Um, where I led the 1GE program for healthcare and life science, part of which was um, helping to manage a cross-functional team in Cork, Ireland, which was building a biopark. Very interesting concept at the time, um, where they were putting manufacturing facilities on site for multiple pharmaceutical companies to be able to develop and um, manufacture drugs. But there were a bunch of shared resource facilities on site as well, um, a supply chain facility, um, an education center, a library, all these different um, support modules, essentially, that would help keep those production centers rolling and ensure that um, GE remained a part of that run rate consumable um, strategy. So, yeah, GE was really amazing. And what I will say about GE is, um, you know, I, I think that they had suffered in years after that around some of the digital approach that they had taken. But at the end of the day, what they have always done very well and continue to do um, is develop leaders 
within the industry, um, as is evident through their Crotonville and their management leadership training program, which spans so many different industries at this point, including pharmaceutical um, and manufacturing being a big target of that. And on that kind of thread of leadership, you know, that, that's one thing that I think it's very clear from your kind of trajectory as you, you've held increasingly kind of senior roles and, and, and leadership roles. Do you mind sharing that time at GE and, and some of the ethos behind the leadership uh, kind of principles that they put in place that you have you have adopted, right? I'm sure there were, it's like, you know, anyone that goes on a training course, there's, there's lots of things, or if you read a leadership book, there's loads of stuff. Are there, you know, one or two things that have really stuck? And the reason I ask that, you know, our listeners are often, um, you know, people who are developing careers for themselves in the outsourcing, the pharma, biopharma outsourcing space, or indeed on the biotech pharma side. And, you know, that leadership piece is such a key component. So any lessons or things that have really worked for you would be, would be great to share. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good question. Um, so it's funny because, you know, I go to GE, I go to all these different companies. The first thing they do is like give you a personality test, right? And all the personality tests are different. But in the end, in my case, at least, all of the results are always the same, which is that I'm a very collaborative person. I love working across teams to connect the dots, to bring people together. And at GE, that was something that was very encouraged. I did a lot of different trainings. I did sales trainings. I was a cap coach, which is change acceleration process. Um, but the one that I really probably enjoyed the most was the fast work training that I did. And FastWorks was a program that was started at GE in collaboration with a gentleman named Eric Reese, who had really started the lean startup philosophy. And what it allowed us to do was essentially create almost like a startup mentality within this behemoth that was the GE organization. And it's funny because, you know, I had gone to GE after being in startup for probably three or four years. Um, my last company had just been acquired by Affymetrix. And um, so going into GE from there and, you know, wanting to have a 401k and all the good things that come <laughs> with being at an established company, the last thing I really expected was for GE to start a, a program internally that was designed to act more like a startup. And, you know, I appreciate the effort that GE put into that program and the trainings they created and the coaches that they trained. Um, but it was interesting because I remember we were at a conference here in San Francisco where I'm based. And there was an after hours um, workshop around fast works and lean startup and creating this startup mentality in a big corporation. And it just was really interesting to me sitting in that room and, you know, listening to people at GE reflect on startup culture and, you know, what it means to be a GE and the startup mindset. And people, you know, I, I, I've never been shy about expressing my opinion and, and people in the room had noticed I had gone noticeably silent. And Someone called that out and said, Andy, you know, you're very quiet. What, what is going through your mind right now? And I said, you know, I appreciate what GE is trying to do in creating this mindset, fostering this startup fail faster kind of mindset. But at the end of the day, the reality is in startups, like 
failure is not an option. You fail and you're gone. You know, at GE, you fail and it's like, oh, well, we didn't do well that time, but let's go back to the drawing board and start again. Right. Like it's these endless opportunities to experiment and fail and start and fail. And maybe this thing works, but that thing didn't. And it's like this, you know, endless supply of resources to drive that machine at a place like GE versus a startup company, which has an an completely different mindset around the urgency of success. And to me, that, that is the grail, right? It's how do you get that urgency in a very large company like you have in a startup environment in the absence of that, if I fail, I'm gone mentality. So um, probably the coolest program I, I was trained in while I was at GE I think it has tremendous value in very large corporations, but I think we still struggle um, to drive that kind of urgent mindset in terms of success within large companies. Yeah, and I think that is a that's a huge challenge for larger corporations. You know, someone that started several businesses like that sense of urgency and risk of failure is the thing that is drives you to work crazy hours and take, you know, look for every opportunities and get out there. And I don't think that's necessarily in the big corporate companies. So it's interesting to hear how that was cult, like almost nurtured within G back then, which is uh, fascinating stuff to kind of hear about. And I did notice from your background, and I have to ask you, as someone that is, uh, you know, obviously founded and scaled a, a marketing agency in the healthcare space, I did, I did notice a few years where you had your own uh, marketing, healthcare marketing agency. And so I have to ask about that. How was you know, you've obviously, it's interesting because you've worn different hats in your career, obviously, you know, the academic star and then, you know, very much into large organizations, a real passion clearly for entrepreneurship and startup community and, you know, obviously with it all underpinned with healthcare and, and life sciences. So what was that experience like then for a few years, obviously running your own business and your own agency, presumably helping clients? That's, you know, from first hand, that's not the easiest path to take you mentioned paths before so how how was that and, and what did you learn from that experience yeah that's that's a really good question and it's funny you call that out because um you're right I have worn like all the hats I feel like at this point particularly from a, a commercialization perspective you know when I was doing my PhD it's funny because um my advisor was very 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 focused on having me take classes every semester. And I would see that there were other PhD students and they were just focused on their research. And I said to him, I'm like, Lee, you know, nobody else is doing all these classes. They're all just focusing on their research. Why do I have to take all these classes when they're not required? And he said, Andy, let me tell you, when you go into your career, what you're going to find is being able to broadly apply skill sets rather than being narrowly focused is going to serve you very well for your entire career. And I've taken that forward with me in terms of the roles I've taken and the path I've chosen all along the way. I felt like I wanted to understand every aspect of what it was like in terms of product development, in terms of marketing, in terms of sales, business development, driving growth 
bringing a company forward and a- acquired in a market. Um, and I've been very blessed to have been able to have those opportunities through my career. When I started Freestone, which was my marketing agency, um, I had just left a sales role as the drug discovery specialist for the western half of the United States for a company called Invitrogen that then became Life Technologies following the acquisition of Applied Biosystems and today is under the Thermo Fisher umbrella. When I left Invitrogen Life Technologies, um, I felt like I was in a place where I had worked in an agency called the Linus Group for some time, felt very um, secure in my understanding of strategy and commercial approaches within pharma, within life science um, vendors, within diagnostics. And I wanted to really see if there was some way I could start my own company with that focus. Now, what I honestly came to learn, and I did secure some contracts and I had some really great clients. Um, two of those were startup companies that eventually ended up being acquired that um, I was really enjoying um, being a part of them creating their strategy and their go-to-market and their valuation and all of the fun stuff that I love about commercializing companies. But what was hard for me, I think, was having to do the hustle of finding work at the same time as having to do the work. Right. Like when it's you doing everything, it's really hard to do business development and really deliver for your customers. And one of the clients that I had worked with was um, a company called Eureka Genomics. And I started out um, doing some contract work with them and supporting them in their strategy. And when they offered me the opportunity to come in full time to support them, in driving the valuation and acquisition strategy for the company. At that point, I just kind of thought, you know, I'll go in, I'll get my health care benefits again um, and see where it all leads. And that was what led me out. Um, but it was a great experience. You know, I learned a lot and um, it is a lot of work, though. I, I appreciate yeah. what you do, Robin. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's not easy. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm nodding away. I mean, the way where you describe it, Andy, and you know that it's a really good way. You know, I think you know over the over the years, many people who I've known have, have started their own companies or agencies, whatever it may be, and and quite quickly you realize how it consumes you and it takes up every every part of your brain and your being. It, it really does consume you, and I think the bit that people get. The people that they don't necessarily think about is they think they're just going to be doing the work, right? The, the whatever the client right. work is, whether product delivery is, and they don't see all the other stuff that comes with running a business. And actually, exactly. that's the stuff that's really difficult because you're effectively learning on the job in all these different areas, right? You said before, like having that broad mindset is is key, but you are in you know, business development, finance, operations, admin. You have to learn all the other stuff in addition to actually just doing whatever your service is. And that, that's very difficult, but you know, I think no doubt you would have benefited for, from that experience. And, and and I suppose that, you know, takes us nicely to to where you are today. You've had an eclectic mix across different disciplines and, and now you find yourself at Microsoft. And I suppose one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the podcast was to give our listener a bit of an insight into how Microsoft and an organization of, of your scale I suppose works and navigates within 
the pharmaceutical outsourcing space and you know particularly with uh, you know with contract service providers like manufacturers research companies uh, packaging companies people that are involved in the supply chain and of helping get drugs developed it into market so talk to us firstly about you know what brought you to microsoft and you know i believe your initial role with the business was as the uh, global healthcare lead in, in pharma and life sciences and love you to kind of elaborate on what you know why you decided to move there and what that initial role was and then and then we can move on into talking about what you are you know what types of projects and clients you work with and how you support them obviously without <laughs> divulging too many client names or anything like that yeah absolutely absolutely I, I actually, it's funny you ask me that question because I actually find myself on customer calls quite often saying, you know, I find myself a PhD here at Microsoft and it is, you know, one of the rare times in my life I feel like I'm actually somewhat of a unicorn. <laughs> there aren't a lot of us running around Microsoft. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but the ones that we have are very competent. And as you can imagine, everybody at Microsoft right now is just very focused on AI and where intelligence is leading in the future. I came to Microsoft um, because a gentleman I had worked with at GE um, had come to Microsoft and was building out what was called at the time the healthcare service line. It was intended to be, is intended to be, um, a team of industry experts in healthcare who can take the tried and true products of Microsoft that everybody knows and loves and help develop industry-specific um, applications and APIs on top of these solutions that help industries solve really difficult challenges. So yes, when I came in initially, I came in in a role as the global healthcare stra service strategy lead for pharma and life science. My um, goal was to create essentially incubation products related to the pharmaceutical and life science industry. And in my first year, I launched four products for Microsoft. Three of them were very data platform intensive because what you learn very quickly when you come to tech is that the root of all is data. Um, and where you hear garbage in is garbage out. I can attest to you from many roles that that is the case. Um, and I think where tech fits into this conversation is really around that data platform and enabling the alignment of that data in a way that you can improve outcomes throughout the industry. Um, in pharma, you can think about it as, you know, um, applying intelligence to do things faster, cheaper, quicker, right? Um, there's so many different use cases for AI and pharma, anything from, you know, predictive modeling to data integration, drug repurposing, virtual screening, network analysis, you name it, people are trying to do it with AI right now. In that first role, I built these, you know, three data platforms, and then I did another kind of cool science one, which was genomics on Azure, which was intended to create this cloud-based environment, you know, complete with primary, secondary, tertiary analytics tools um, that directly ingest data from next-gen sequencers and enables you to do the analytics and visualization you want in a single location. 
from there, I started working on another solution, um, this time focused on clinical trials, which has just been, I've never seen anything take off quite like this, quite honestly, in terms of interest and enthusiasm from our customers um, of anything I've ever worked on, quite honestly. There's clearly a huge need in the market to improve the way clinical trials are performed today um, from start to finish. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Are you able to go into a bit more detail and I appreciate you calling to talk about clients or projects, but like in that example there where you've seen you know great demand in, in supporting and improving clinical trials, are you able to share kind of the use case for that and how your, I suppose, your applications are able to make things faster or better for, for companies in, in, in life sciences? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely do that. So um, the solution that I ended up packaging up with approval from Microsoft leadership um, and that moved me into the role I'm in now um, where my team is the one that actually built the solution that I'm now out talking to customers about. Um, it's based on an API that was created by our Health Israel team under a woman named Hadas Britan called the Health Insights API. And what this tool does is it leverages intelligence to be able to do trial matching from either a patient-centric or the trial-centric perspective. It also uses natural language processing, or NLP, to do a proof of concept we call oncophenotype, where I take an unstructured clinical note, a pathology note that gives, you know, where a tumor is. Essentially, it's a biopsy report that a physician would get that's long and convoluted and these physicians get dozens of these that they have to review for their patients before they go into the room and have the conversation with the patient. What I demonstrate in the Oncophenotype module is that I can upload that highly convoluted, very long note, click a button in under 30 seconds. I have a summary report of the location, the size, the TNM staging, both pathological and clinical. And, you know, when you get into the, you could batch upload this the night before and have these summaries waiting the next day. Um, clearly, the physicians on the call, their jaws pretty much all unanimously drop and hit the ground. And then the last component of what we built into the initial tool is what we call the ePro module, which is electronic patient reported outcomes. So this is you've recruited the patients, you've got them in the study. Now you want to be able to do like a schedule of activities. You want to send out um, outcomes questionnaires, whether it's like the NCI Pro CTCAE questionnaire or any questionnaire. You send that out to the patient. They sign in, give consent, answer the questions. It comes back and it's fed into a real-time dashboard for the site coordinator to be able to watch as the study progresses and identify if there are any side effects or deleterious effects from the drug or the treatment. So that's what I just built. And at this time, because we had acquired Nuance, Microsoft acquired Nuance over the last year, um, who is actively engaging in these types of conversations with pharma also, 
what we're really trying to explore right now is how we develop a more federated data platform that will allow pharma to be able to identify patients better for clinical studies and at the same time enable providers to be able to identify clinical trials that are better matched to their patients. And honestly, Raman, what I've seen done with AI in this respect, um, it's really promising. Which is incredible, like, which is very encouraging from a, an industry perspective. And, it, you know, over the years of doing this podcast, I think the amount of times that I've heard guests kind of sigh and kind of talk about the conservative and traditional nature of the industry that can make it a bit slower, let's say, than, say, the automotive uh, industry, for, ex- for example. So with, with that in mind, in terms of how you guys think about digitization and AI and the example that you just gave there, if we think about uh, supply chains, manufacturing, material supply, you know, how, how would Microsoft, how would AI, how would, I suppose, modern technology that you guys are bringing to the fore, like how do you see a future for that implementing those areas where there are there are huge issues in the industry in terms of uh, you know getting drugs you know to, through clinical trials and into manufacturing etc in a, in a speedy manner do you see microsoft having a much and i think you know when we first met you might i think you mentioned uh, a project that you were working on in in this particular area again conscious of you know not naming names but you know talk us through the types of things or that even the future that you see in this space because i think that's one of the reasons i was keen to get you on andy to kind of almost paint the picture of the of what the future looks like in in this sector which you know which will excite and inspire our, our listeners to think about what what things could look like in five years and ten years oh my gosh it's truly the things i've seen since joining microsoft i'll tell you And it's funny because, you know, I've been in a lot of companies that have talked about technology as being this, you know, um, critical um, piece of driving the future improvement in pharmaceutical, in healthcare in general. But unfortunately, a lot of healthcare companies just aren't deep in that technical experience and, you know, know-how. So a lot of those visions remain just that, you know, what is it they say a dream without a, a plan is, you know, doomed to just be a dream forever or something to that effect, right? It's like we all in so many of these companies had such big dreams about what technology could do, but we didn't have the right people to get it done. What I will tell you is the things that I see every single day at Microsoft are just inspirational. I mean, from a manufacturing perspective, um, we just had our hackathon which we do every year. Um, And I was up in Redmond for the hackathon in person. And one of the um, pop-ups, as they call them, that had been set up was the factory floor of the future. And in this pop-up display, what they had was um, our um, uh, virtual reality, augmented virtual reality lenses called HoloLens. You walked into this room um, with your HoloLens on, there was a robotic arm on the table. It could be anything, right? It could be a robotic arm in a pharmaceutical lab doing high throughput screening. It could be a robotic arm 
in an industrial manufacturing facility, whatever the case may be. Um, and you would put the HoloLens on and it would visualize around the equipment all of the performance metrics as the machine was operating, everything being functioned through a handheld device, which even if you're off-site, you can potentially manipulate the equipment from being off-site. If you're offline, you can troubleshoot. And then they walk you from that room into the next room over where you use your HoloLens again, and now it's a digital twin of the robot that you just saw and were adjusting the variables around performance on. And now you can not only adjust it in real time, but you can recreate the actions of that robot in a digital twin environment to see how changes that you make in that performance and those settings impact the other side of that process and then from there they walk you into a control room which is grounded in the metaverse right where you can now see your operational performance across all of your robots right in juxtaposed to benchmark and any kind of red flag alert that the system might be setting up so, I mean, I walk into something like that and I think about, you know, all of the, the manufacturing facilities I've been into in pharma and I just think to myself, that is just amazing, right? I mean, even a process as simple as something like chromatography, right? Which we just take for granted because it is such a core technique from start to finish in pharmaceutical R&D through production. And you think about all the different steps of that chromatography process from very small experimental scale in the lab to process size scale up for clinical trials to major manufacturing for when that drug goes to market. And you think about the fact that that equation is never a one-to-one -one scale up ratio. And today, the only way to do that is by doing experiments over and over and over until you reach a critical mass of information that allows you to then make that next step. When you think about the ability of predictive modeling to cut that time literally in half, you begin to see where AI can make a massive difference, right? Everything from predicting what solvent's going to work best, what types of beads are going to work best, what coating on the bead is going to work best, how can I set my machine and my equipment in a way that I'm going to, you know, reduce my use of expensive raw materials? All of these different operational and performance metrics are now being evaluated, not just by pharmaceutical companies, but by manufacturers of research equipment in terms of how they can improve their performance and deliver better value into the pharmaceutical R&D group. So I, what I can tell you is, you know, I remember Raman when I was in high school, honestly, was really the first time computers, <laughs> I just completely dated myself. Um, I, it was really the first time computers were a thing, right? I had an Apple IIe. I went to college with a brother word processor. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, and to watch the explosion in that technology over such a short period of time, quite honestly, I believe that intelligence is going to be the catalyst that brings that same type 
of rapid growth and change to healthcare and life science. It's um it's quite a picture actually that you've painted in terms of how things could be. And I think one of the one of the areas where you know I was at a conference last week in DC at the uh, the Pharma Biopharma uh, Outsourcing Association conference, the PBOA, and you know, with the FDA were presenting there, and a question was asked around, you know, how is the FDA thinking about AI? And you know, you could tell that the guys didn't really want to answer the question because they weren't sure <laughs> themselves. And you know, versus a year ago where AI was, I don't think was mentioned at the PBOA conference to to where it is today. The kind of the the the, the velocity of interest in this field is is phenomenal, but I, one thing did strike me was just the sense of caution, particularly when it regard you know regarding drug development, drug manufacturing, bringing drugs to patients, and obviously the the associated the associated regulatory fields, which make it difficult to kind of just implement anything quicker. You know, many of our listeners are in commercial roles, are in operational roles, they're in you know they're involved somewhere in in bringing drugs to market. You know how how should they be thinking about AI even on a day to day level? You know, many of our listeners have probably maybe experimented with ChatGPT, right, and maybe played around. They're probably using AI tools without realizing it, whether it's you know searching for a new holiday or whatever it is. There are we are all using forms of AI in our kind of online kind of behavior every day. But how would you advise that, you know, people start experimenting at, even at a personal level, at a work level, to then, you know, even before, you know, taking that leap of faith and thinking about, well, actually, how can I improve my process? How can I improve the efficiency of my team using AI? Which I think is almost a couple of steps down the line for many of our listeners. So where would you advise they even start? Because I think it's a question that many of our listeners would probably appreciate an answer to because it's quite overwhelming, I suspect. And this is coming from someone like myself who I, I you know, I use quite a lot of AI tools on a daily basis. It's part of what we do as an agency and what we do within our businesses. But I appreciate my, you know, I run a comms you know, creative agency in a recruitment business that do this type of stuff and utilize modern technology very quickly but not everyone adopts things as quick as me so I kind of want to help people that might not be that far kind of down the line yeah yeah so I think there's two ways to really think about AI Roman right there's the data search functionality right like I have a ton of data a lot of it is just PDF I mean let's be honest we scientists we enjoy writing on bench paper and have not been the greatest historically at tag cataloging data in a digital environment, right? I mean, it's just sort of the way we've always operated. What I will say is there's a big difference between that data search functionality and using AI in a predictive way, where I feel like you have to really think about the ethics and, and start asking questions is when you start getting into these predictive models right? And, and the impact it can have. On the data search side, to me, honestly, it is all just about convenience, right? Like I think back to my PhD, the first time I used chat GPT, <laughs> all I thought of was all of those nights, all of those days I spent in the library, on PubMed, in PubMed Central, on Medline, searching for papers, downloading PDFs, 
highlighting section, putting it into a spreadsheet, right? And then manually beginning to start to draw some similarities across these papers that I could use to help develop my protocols, to help understand previous research, to help develop the direction I wanted to go with my experiment. It was all so manual. And the first time I used ChatGPT, all I could think was, man, could you imagine all the hours I could have spent in the lab doing research instead of searching for PDF in PubMed if I had a tool like ChatGPT, right? I mean, and it, the value is just so palpable from the first time you use it. Do we need to improve the accuracy? Absolutely. Does GPT still require a human in the loop, particularly around anything healthcare related? 100%. Is there tremendous opportunity in time saving around low value tasks that we spend ridiculous amounts of time on right now without a shadow of a doubt in mind? Right? You want to get started? Start with chat GPT. Start with, if you're in Teams, start with something like a co-pilot. I will tell you, co-pilot in Teams has saved me so much time already just in the feature of giving me a summary at the end of my call. Now, I don't have to sit there and take notes through every call. I can just go to the summary at the end of the call in Teams and I'm able to see everything in front of me. I mean, I can focus on the conversation. I can talk to the person instead of being concerned about writing down everything. That's that's super helpful. And, you know, I've, I was jotting some notes down there. And I think even just some of the the way that you talk about, uh, you know, the use, utilizing data and just taking paper-based things and doing them online and how, how people should be thinking about AI from a convenience perspective as well. And certainly the use cases you've just described there is exactly how I... I'm using it every day. I kind of wish, I, I, you know, God, if we, I'd had this tool 10 years ago, it would have saved me so much time. You know, it's it's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, like I'm, you know, as always, I'm thinking of what other businesses I could start in the future. And I've got this, and I love the phrase co-pilot because I think it's such a fantastic way to describe how AI should be thought about as a co-pilot, but you as the human are still kind of, in charge ultimately of making a decision, but you're using it as as a tool to help you get to that decision quicker and better. That's the way I certainly think about it. And I think the way you described it makes makes a lot of sense as well. Andy, unbelievably, we are all ready up on time. I, I'm so glad we we got you on the podcast and to share your experience and your background. And I suppose what's exciting for some of our listeners and your younger listeners is just some that some of that comes from a scientific background in a more academic background in the more I suppose the the career path that you've taken is is not the most conventional but it's it's led you down so many different paths and ultimately to a incredible role where you're still aligned to your passion in healthcare and life sciences but doing so for obviously a huge organization like Microsoft which has the potential obviously to benefit uh, you know millions if not billions uh, across the world which is which is truly fantastic so you know, it goes without saying, but, you know, love your energy and your enthusiasm and your passion. It comes across loud and clear. And I suspect our listeners have taken a huge amount from your appearance on today's podcast. So thank you so much for being a guest. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. You know, I you think a lot about the things that you're doing and how it impacts the bigger the bigger good, I guess, of the world. And um, I feel very, very fortunate to have been in a lot of roles that have allowed me to contribute in ways that hopefully benefit um, the greater population. I think that's what we all strive for in our careers. Yeah, hear, hear. Thanks, Raman. Yeah, thank you. And so there you have it. That was Andy White from Microsoft. What an absolute ball of energy that lady is. What a terrific guest. Uh, you know, you probably have to rewind a couple of times to keep up with the speed at which she clearly moves. But uh, some great insights. You know, as I said at the start, it's not the kind of run of the mill episode that we have on Molecule to Market, but it's something that I was keen to do is just bring a slightly different perspective on our sector. And so for me, it was interesting just to hear her background actually from an academic background and how her time at GE and industry and then kind of getting insight into the startup career and her time in San Francisco has kind of really shaped Andy into the leader that she is today. And I love what she said about uh, the advice she was given uh, early on in terms of having a broad mindset and how that would help her flourish down the line, which is clearly what has happened. It was uh, sort of useful and insightful to hear her uh, talking about the role in tech and I suppose revolutionizing clinical trials and drug development space and the example uh, that she goes through is worth uh, another listening and rewinding back. And I think for all of us as we're trying to kind of grapple with AI and data and how we utilize the, the various tools that are available at our disposable, disposal today to help us in our roles. Uh, and I think she gave a great account of how we should go about thinking uh, in that space as well and, and what tools to maybe experiment with. And my, my suggestion to all of you is just download them all and have a go and you'll find the ones that, that are working for you. There are a lot out there that aren't great yet and there are some that are absolutely terrific. So go ahead and and have a go and uh, an experiment. So thanks as always for, to my team for pulling today's episode together. A special thanks to Steve Ramsey, who is a good friend of mine, a, a very senior at Microsoft who connected Andy and I. And if you want to nominate a guest, then please do so or you know do so through our website uh, if you like today's show please like it and share it and i'll hopefully see you at an event in person very soon take care hi again thanks for tuning in to today's show I really hope you enjoyed the episode for more shows have a look on spotify apple or amazon wherever you like to listen and do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website at Molecule to Market Pod or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecule to Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.